cunning, ambitious, and unprincipled men must not be enabled to subvert the power of the people and to usurp for themselves the reins of government, destroying afterwards the very engines which have lifted them to unjust dominion. The words of President George Washington. And this is The Guardians of the Republic. Hello, I'm Patrick Murray from the Monmouth University Poll, and my co-host is Ian Kahn from the TV series Turn, Washington Spies. On this episode of the podcast, we look at new polling on the deep divide in our country and the challenges facing the republic this week, including how Biden would handle calls to investigate the president, President Trump. Then we'll wrap with a few hot takes and our guardian of the week. Please make sure to subscribe. Give us a rating in your favorite podcast app. Patrick, you came out with a new poll yesterday that made a good bit of news. Um, what, what did you learn? Well, before I get to that, I I just want to give us a sense of, you know, where we stand on polling from the election. Um, because everybody's asking me about that and I'm sure some of our listeners might be interested in this. Um, you know, so we're, we're continuing to look at what the election miss was. Um, and some of these results that I'm going to talk about today from our, our latest poll that we just did post election actually speak to that. Um, but you know, it basically boils down to to two key areas that I'm looking at, and these are demographics. Uh, these are white voters who live in predominantly white areas, particularly in the Midwest, um, meaning there's a very homogeneous uh, culturally uh, populations, uh, as well as immigrant populations, where we saw a big swing towards uh, Donald Trump. Uh, he may not have won those groups, but there was certainly a swing towards them. Uh, pretty much across the board. Uh, so we've heard a lot about the Latino vote, um, particularly in South Florida and along the Rio Grande Valley in Texas. But we also saw swings towards Trump's among among Latino voters in other areas as well, from Arizona to Philadelphia, in fact. But there was another one that I, I saw, another analysis that I saw recently of um, you know areas that have large Asian populations, uh, particularly Orange County, California. Uh, and where there are a lot of South Asian immigrants um, who live there, or you know, they're second, uh, first or second or third generation Americans there. And there was a swing across the board with these groups as well. In fact, the Vietnamese um, precincts, the, the precincts where there were a significantly large number of Vietnamese um, uh, families uh, actually voted for Trump. Not only did they swing towards Trump, but they actually gave him a slight uh, plurality in their votes in those areas. Uh, and so those are things that I think we, we need to think about um, in terms of, you know, not just the polling miss itself, but, uh, you know, what this says about where we are as a country, that those things happen and why those things happened. Uh, so I wanna talk a little bit about that in the context of these new polling numbers that, that we have out. By the way, when we did this uh, new national poll, we asked people how they voted in the uh, in the election, and we had uh, Joe Biden ahead of Donald Trump by four points in the poll, which is exactly how he did in the actual voting, which suggests to me a lot of the problems that we saw in the election polling in the last few weeks before the election related to President Trump may have disappeared because the election's over, and uh, that might be part of it. I think Trump has has a big plays a big role in what we're seeing in all our polling. So let me go through a couple of these. 
uh, numbers. Uh, so a lot of questions have been raised about the outcome. And in fact, we have 44% of the American public who says we need more information about the vote count before we know for certain that Joe Biden actually won it, including 88% of Republicans who say this. Now, in a typical election, you're always going to have people on the losing side who say, hey, we need, you know, Maybe the votes weren't right. We need to take a closer look at that. But the fact that we have nearly half saying that right now uh, is a clear indication that there has been success in sowing seeds of doubt. Uh, if we look at another um, question that we asked, 44% of the electorate were very confident um, that the election was conducted fairly and accurately. And that number is actually higher than it was before the election. But that's because Democrats and independents went up. Republicans, only 22% were very confident, are very confident that the election was conducted fairly and accurately. But before the election happened, when many of them thought Donald Trump was going to win, 55% of them thought that it was going to be conducted fairly and accurately. So it's obvious for this group that you're, the way that you judge whether something is fair and accurate is based on the outcome and not the process. And again, this goes to where the challenges to the Republic are in that, is that we've lost kind of that faith in the process itself. Uh, in fact, 32% uh, of uh, American voters feel that Biden won due to voter fraud, including 77% of Trump voters who feel that way. So th there's a sense that there's, uh, you know, uh, not a legitimate election here, that the process itself wasn't a, a legitimate, not because the process was wrong, although there's a lot of stuff that we're going to talk about that that's coming out, but simply because the outcome was wrong. What do you think of uh, those results? I, I, I'm kind of I'm sort of taken by the um, the 88 percent number for the Republicans, because it surprises me that it's not higher. Actually, I was looking at the the Georgia polls for the Senate races that are coming up in on January 5th, and I noticed a little bit of a shift, at least from my eyes, because the numbers were very tight on both races, 49, 48, 48, 49. I mean, it's, it's, it's tight as a mouse's whisker. I've never said that before. Kind of works. <laughs> um, but what I noticed was that 88% again of Republicans were voting on the Republican side, but 11 to 12% were voting for the Democrats. And that 88% number surprises me a little bit. Um, because I thought it would be higher. I thought it would be 96%. I thought it would be 95%. But it seems as if there is 12% of the Republican electorate that are not buying in completely, that are completely not buying in is what I should say, where they're looking at it and saying, yeah, you're breaking the country. Is that is that? Do you think that's accurate? Do you think that that's sort of the number where we're at? Well, a little bit more than ten percent of Republicans are seeing what Trump is doing and sort of saying there's going to be a penalty for it. What what occurred to me uh, earlier this week is when we were watching sort of the the dive of President Trump and Giuliani in, into everything. Hold on, there's another plane coming. OK, what occurred to me earlier this week as we were watching President Trump sort of do what he felt he needed to do to make it seem that he was the president was that obviously it's a danger to the republic. But what also occurred to me was it's such a clown show when you look at what Giuliani did yesterday with the, the hair dye running down his face. It made me wonder whether that number is actually going to go even lower from 88% where people are going to go, this doesn't work. And whether that's going to hurt Trump and Trumpism 
long term in the polling. Is, is this an interesting line of thought or question that that, you know, the worse it gets, it, it may not it may it may backfire against Trump is what I'm suggesting. Yeah, I have a feeling that it could go the opposite direction. I think we've gotten to the point where so many people dig in that they're willing to buy this nonsense. <laughs> like, so, for example, here's, you know, another question that we asked, which is compared to past presidents, how has Trump done in terms of upholding the Constitution? And we had 45 percent say he's he's done more than past presidents to undermine the Constitution. Now, we know that that's what he's done. So only 45% are saying that. In fact, 37% say he's done more than past presidents to protect the constitution. These are his followers. So when they see that nonsense from Giuliani, they are so bought into this idea that the election was a fraud, that everything that Donald Trump is, is doing is, is upholding the constitution, that they believe that what they just saw in that farce was upholding the Constitution. I, I don't know how many people you're going to get to whittle away from that. Um, and I think it says a lot about civics education and our lack of civics education. You know, Donald Trump had said he wanted to do some 1776 project, which was not civics education. It was, you know, cultish education about mm -hmm. follow the leader. But we don't understand why the checks and balances in the Constitution are important. They're not just important just so you know you can pass laws. They are important because that's what stops rebellions from breaking out. That's what stops violence in the streets is following these rules. This is what our founders designed the Constitution for. And was actually for this this moment, <laughs> this yeah. this period of time, this these weeks. It, it's why this, you know, I will, I will I'll say that for me, this is one of the busiest weeks that I've had in preparation for the New Deal conference that I'm uh, an organization that I work with. It was, but but it was sort of like there's no way, even though we sort of put into our understanding that there are going to be weeks that we're not going to be able to show up because of work that you're doing or work that I'm doing. This was not the week to take off because it was like the republic is being challenged and these poll numbers tell us exactly why is that why would you say with these poll numbers are the reasons why the senators are keeping quiet why why people who are patriots by birth and by being raised and believe in conservative values are keeping their mouths shut because they say you can't you i don't want to be jeff flake i don't want to be the next uh loser of the republican party and lose my place in this government would you is that yeah. is that what it is I think that's exactly it. They're looking at how um, how rigid and willing um, Trump's followers are to follow him with whatever he says and to re reframe the entire conversation about what constitutional norms are based on his behavior that, yeah, they're afraid. They're, people are afraid for their own. That's why they're political butts. That's why when we named the Guardian of the Week, you and I always have you know, a, an intense discussion over it when we're naming somebody who's in politics. Because the debate is, have they really done something that puts their own personal political future at threat? Right. Because we can see that so many of them are afraid to do that 
in this Trump world. John uh, Cornyn this week came out in a – John Cornyn came out and said this is all kind of crazy and we've got to fix this. And I had this moment where I went, he's got six more years before he's going to run for election again. And the power of that position of six more years because who knows if President Trump is still going to be around in six years. You know what I mean? In terms of his ability to – move people. So it, now is the time for people who won in 2020 to really be able to stand up because you can't get you're not going to get rid of John Cornyn. You know, you you understand what I'm saying? It's like the, there there is strategy in when and how these senators can stand up. You know, yeah. Mitt Romney is is a perfect example. But let's stay on the polls. But, we're but yeah, the but in a we're getting this is the problem with the what I see in the polling is that we're getting to the point where we might pa have passed that point of no return in terms of you because that's what the Constitution requires a leader standing up and saying these are the constitutional norms. This is why these norms are important for our the stability of our country. And this is where we have to step in and say oh, you did wrong. You've got to follow these norms and they're not doing it. So they're allowing the Trump side to re um, reframe this entirely into something that makes absolutely no rational sense. So one of the reasons why I brought up the um, those immigrant groups at the beginning is, you know, we, we heard from many of those immigrant groups that the, the charges of socialism and socialist against Joe Biden were effective for them because they had come from these left wing dictatorships. And so they were worried about it. And what they don't realize coming into America, this is well, the need for civics education maybe, is that the problem that they had with the country that they came from was less about the fact that their leadership was left wing than it was a dictatorship. And <laughs> Trump has very successfully said, no, it's your political position that's more the problem than the fact of whether you're authoritarian or not. And I think because many of these folks come from uh, uh, political systems where they never had this kind of stability that um, many of them don't understand why that stability exists and it exists because of constitutional norms checks and balances and all these other things that have flown out the window but many of them don't get it but of course many native born american citizens uh don't get it either so this is the problem that we have there's a poll that I actually put into the Republic section that I want to ask you about now. Uh, looking ahead to the new administration, nearly twice as many Americans think it is more important for congressional Republicans to find ways to work with Biden, 62 percent, as say it is more important for them to keep the new president in check. That surprises me. Yeah, it's it's that's, this a, is a, that's, a, that's a tricky number, isn't it? It's a truism. Every time that we, we ask this, there's significantly more people who say we want compromise. We want government to work. The problem is they distrust the other side. Sure. So when we ask the question of what would happen if people who have um, political views that are opposite of yours get into power and put their policies into place, and the majority say they're very concerned that that could cause lasting damage to the country. So they want compromise, yet this distrust has been built up about the other side being the enemy that what the political, the Mitch McConnell's of the world understand is that you can look at this, this question that everybody says they want compromise on and just ignore it because you know if you sow the seeds of distrust, then you know more, more than five times out of 10, you win the next election. And that's all that the McConnell's of the world care about. Mm -hmm. So that's the problem is that they can ignore this, this desire that we have 
to be a working democracy, a working compromise, a constitution where not everybody gets their way, but you know everything moves forward and we have a stable system. But they've built up enough distrust in the in these partisan tribes that uh, the political leadership, the, this crass, cynical political leadership understands that, hey, we can play off that distrust and win elections. So that's all that matters to us. Right. So, you know, what what we need, and we're going to talk about this person in the Hot Topics, is a transformational political figure to help lead the way. And that person is the old guy, um, 78-year-old today, Joe Biden, who, again, we are going to talk about later. But that's what's, that's what's going to be needed, is someone who can come in and just do the job so magnificently that he can find a way to reach across the aisle and bring the country together. And I, I do believe, as we've discussed numerous times before, that Joe Biden is the perfect man for that job. I want to talk about that more on Hot Topics. But let's move on quickly to the Republic now. Um, yes. And how, well, I think this is the a good segue. The Republic this week? Yeah, I think that's that was a good segue uh, there because um, the, the thing that, that, that I wanted to bring up, and we're going to talk about all these this election nonsense and, and these, these charges of, of fraud from the Trump side, but I want to I want to frame it in a way that we look at what Biden has kind of put out there when he becomes president is that he wants to avoid divisive Trump investigations. He wants to look at ways to bring unity about. Um, and, you know, he, he said that, you know, if, if their investigation is going to be an independent Justice Department, I will have nothing to do with it. I am not going to tell the Justice Department what the, what they should do. But he's sent that signal that he doesn't want investigations. Um, that to, to bog him down, that that his his what, what you've pointed out his his kind of empathy and his personal uh, charisma will bring the country together and 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 maybe um, you know we don't have to dwell on everything that that Trump did wrong. What do you what do you think of that approach? Uh, you know. You know I I think there's wisdom in that approach to a large extent because he's leaving it open to the Justice Department and he can make a point of the the difference between his administration and Trump's administration not having William Barr as the head of the Justice Department, who essentially was just a lawyer for the president. Biden is going to make very clear that the the, the, the Justice Department is not being run through his office. In fact, a name that just got floated out, and this is Friday at 1 p.m., the name that just got floated out is Merrick Garland for attorney general, uh, which I think would be a, would be a bit of a hoot. It concerns me to see if Biden and the federal government goes after President Trump. I think that a civil war is something that we are all mindful of and we're frightened of. I'm frightened of it. Um, and, and I can't think of something that would definitely let the genie out of the bottle more than seeing the former president in handcuffs and being put into jail. I'm not saying that that shouldn't happen. I'm not saying that I would object to it happening. I'm fearful of what something like that would do. I also think that Joe Biden spending any of his time with all of the challenges that we have in this country, you know, prosecuting his former political opponents is not the job of the president and not something that I would like him to focus on. Again, if the independent justice department has enough there, but I, I, to uh, impeachment put us into a state of disquiet and stalemate, if we make the next years just about President Trump um, I, for Biden, for Biden. Again, in New York City, New York, the attorney general in New York, I'm not speaking to that. That's a different ball of wax. But um, that that's my that's my instinct. What's your instinct on this? Yeah, I, I think in terms of investigating Trump personally is that 
in many ways, they should try to leave that as much to the states as possible. So you mentioned New York. So there are a number of investigations going on in New York right now. Um, there are a number of laws that he allegedly uh, broke in in New York, and that's uh, one way to to take care of it. I, I think those should continue to be pursued. And I understand what he's saying, that he doesn't want the Justice Department to get bogged down into every little peccadillo of what Trump did. However, I think there's uh, there's a danger in trying so hard to move on beyond that, that he doesn't take into account that Trump is just the tip of the iceberg of everything that's happened over the 20, past 25 years. And I've mentioned before that I want some sort of like Nuremberg inquiry. Um, and right. you know, right. And I, I don't mean that it should be a trial per, per se, you know, you, mm -hmm. you, you put these people on trial, but maybe more closer to something between that and, and the 9-11 commission. Commission, right. I was just right. thinking the same thing. <clears throat> right, yeah. which doesn't look just at what happened during Trump, but looks at everything that led up to Trump as well. That it should be a commission like, you know, he had said that uh, Biden had said, that he would put something together for a six-month commission to look at the Supreme Court and how nominations are made, how the court is is composed, and all those kinds of things. I think he should put a commission together to look at uh, ways of restoring constitutional norms because that will, you know, frame it positively. We need to look at where, you know, why we broke down and how we're going to fix this, but it has to also hold people to account. It has to hold the McConnells of the world to account as well for the role that they've played in this, um, that we've gotten this far. Um, I'm not sure how you do that, but it, I think there is a serious danger if he tries to ignore it and tries to just plow ahead based on mm -hmm. his I own vision too. of himself. Absolutely. As, also, as Edward know. Norton, who is an actor, uh, who he was, I'm sure everyone knows who Ed Norton is. He came out with a, a Twitter like rant last night. It wasn't really a rant, but it was long. And he basically said, uh, I'm a poker player. I'm an actor. I'm, my dad was in the Justice Department, I think is what he said. But he was talking about what Trump is trying to do right now. And he said, it's not about 2024. It's not about starting a media empire. All it's about is he's going to sow so many problems that he can then cut a deal with the federal government to make sure that he is, he, he'll say, all right, I'll stop all the craziness because I know I'm not going to win. But you just have to let me off on every. You need to give me immunity, and then I'll back away. That that's what. There's another idea that he's out. It came out on CNN last night that he's just out for revenge. That he's going to blow up everything and set fires all over the world, which we can see with what's going on in Iraq and Afghanistan, because it, he feels that the Democrats did not give him the legitimacy of being president. So he's not. He's going to return the favor. And if we look at his divorces, he's a. He's a tough mother you know i mean he he goes after you if you turn on him or if you don't give him what he wants he's gonna make you pay and make you suffer right. so i think it's a combination of both of those things now what ed norton's point was is it this is poker he call his bluff because it's a bluff he didn't got nothing to stand on call the bluff and i was like yeah man that's kind of cool i kind of dig that so i'm not necessarily saying that uh we shouldn't look into everything that happened. I just don't know about prosecuting former political opponents. I don't know that that's going to save or, or, or serve the Republic or serve what it is that Biden has, which is his unique gift, which is finding a way to speak to the other side. And I think it's, it's tough when you've put away their president. Right. So you have to find a way to, to frame this positively 
which I think Biden can do. But you have to be careful not to just let, roll over it. Yeah, yeah. Let people off the hook when when they shouldn't be. And and maybe it is that you you judiciously or you know you you make a calculation, a strategic calculation that mm-hmm. you're going to let Trump off the hook, but put people that Republicans don't particularly, the Trumpists don't particularly like, like McConnell on the hook. Or Lindsey Graham, who this yeah. week leaned on uh, the Georgia Secretary of State Raffensperger to try to get him to throw votes out. And then it came out. That was a that was an interesting day, I thought. And it, I don't know if Graham has been able to slither his way out of it. Um, but it certainly was, you know, he, he said that, well, I had the same conversation with the secretary of state of Arizona and the secretary of state of Nevada. And they all came up and they said, no, he didn't. Not so much. Sorry about that. No, there was no call with the Senator from South Carolina. Um, but it, 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 today, just this morning, uh, Raffensperger came out and, you know, made it official that Georgia was won by Joe Biden, which is, uh, I think a, a helpful thing. Moving forward, don't you? Yeah, Joe, yeah. Raffensperger, who was our guardian of the week, uh, has continued to live up to that. Uh, it, it's kind sure. of interesting. Yeah, it's kind of interesting because um, there are more than one conversation with Graham apparently took place, and the, the second one, there were other people in the room, and I can't remember his name, but it's the supervisor of elections in Georgia who comes out after Raffensperger to explain you know, everything that was going on in the counts as, as they were doing the counting there, um, wasn't, it wasn't one of those in the room and he kind of tried to play it both ways where he said, I can see why Raffensperger heard it that way. I can see why Graham thought he said it in a certain way. Um, what, which I thought was interesting, but there's no question that, you know, Graham, uh, put the lean on that. And that's, I think, you know, so we're talking about challenges to the Republic this week. Obviously, these are the challenges because that's not the only pressure that's been put on uh, local and state election officials this week. I mean, right. so we got in, what's going on in Michigan. Michigan, the legislators. So, I, I, unfortunately, I don't have the names of the two people. They came out and they were supposed to certify the elections, and they refused to certify the uh, the section in Detroit. And basically, this was if you were paying attention for these four hours and I was paying attention keenly, it was amazing because these two people came out and they essentially said, I'm sorry, I'm embarrassed. I don't have their names, but they they essentially said, um, no, we're not going to certify the elections. And the world exploded and said, no, 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 you don't get to do that. And then they rescinded it and they said, all right, we, we certify them. And I mean, the public pressure actually did get to them. It was public pressure in real time, by the way. Yes, it was because they were at a public right hearing. Base. Yes, uh, that I think their names are Palmer and Hartwood. There you go, Palmer remember. and Hartwood. Wouldn't that have been great if I had that? But great that yeah. you brought it. Keep going. Yeah. Um, and uh, what it had, Hartwood had already said. Th- this is Wayne County, um, uh, Michigan. Michigan. So each uh, each county in in Michigan has a board of canvassers that has. To, like an even number of Republicans and four. Democrats on it. Yeah, there's right? four. So two in, in Wayne County, voted, right, right, two and two, right. So it's two and two in, in Wayne, uh, and uh, so uh, Hartwood, uh, he had said even before this election, he had raised you know uh, charges of fraud that that didn't exist. Palmer had been more quiet about it. So obviously, at the beginning of the meeting, the other night, the two of them said, "No, we're not going to vote to uh, to certify," and, and they read a stalemate. And it was a public meeting, so there was a, a time for public comment after they made this vote. 
And that's what happened is, is that the public people in the room got up and went nuts. People on Twitter sphere oh went God. nuts and got back to them. So every, the pressure was on them. I mean, people were, there was this one guy who, who did this rant saying your family, your grandchildren are going to be ashamed because this is the moment where the Republic falls and it's on your head. And like an hour after that, they came out and they said, yeah, yeah, we're, we're good. No, we're good. And yeah, then the said, next day they came back and said, actually, you know, we're re they spoke to Trump, apparently. And they said, actually, you know, we we want to rescind that. And then the secretary of state said, uh, no, your job here is done and we're yeah. moving on. So what happened with that? And this is what's really important. Talk about the challenges to the republic. So um, Hartwood uh, didn't comment, but Palmer, she commented and said, yeah, she got a call from the president at the end of after that meeting was over thanking her for standing up for him or yes. whatever it was. And then suddenly the next morning, she writes this 26 bullet point memo about why she wants to rescind the vote that she took at the end of the night to certify. And none of it makes any sense whatsoever. So where did she, and, and she says the president didn't put any pressure on her, but where did she suddenly get the idea that these were the 26 points? And, and maybe... The president himself didn't put pressure on her, but I'm sure that the president's call was followed by a call from somebody else that we haven't heard about yet. And suddenly this document materializes with her, Monica, Monica Palmer, this document materializes with her signature on it. Um, that, that, that doesn't come out of nowhere. Uh, you know, I'd be a little bit more nervous if this were a different state. But the fact that there were 150,000 vote difference in Michigan after Trump won it by about 10,000 votes in 2016, I, I think this is this is just a really high wire act that's going to be hard because you have two of the Michigan legislators right now just arrived in Washington, D.C. a few hours ago to go meet with the president this afternoon. And they were greeted at the airport with people who are just like, are you kidding? You know, with signs, shame, shame, screaming in their face. Certify the election. Certify the election. I, sp I happen to speak to somebody today in Michigan politics who's like, this is just a sideshow. There's there's just nothing that can be done. Uh, and this person kind of knows the the system really well there. And th there's nothing that, that, that is going to change because of this. The secretary of state, if the legislature were to certify someone else, the governor could certify others. It's it's just a mess. And I think that's all that the president is going for. Um, we have a couple of senators who are stepping up and stepping out uh do you want to tell everybody who they are uh yes this is your your batman and robin have finally yes. um arrived at, at gotham uh, with well, the bat batman been up for, all, for you know robin <laughs> did come on later so it's it's really not that surprising i mean if you think about the michael keaton films it took a minute for chris o'donnell to show up but yes <laughs> mitt romney and ben sass <laughs> my older brother teases me about how i say ben sass he's like oh you keep going at ben sass they both came out. Um, Romney's was very secure. Just you can't do this. We're going to stop this. This is wrong. And Sass also, both of them came out and are speaking against it. And that's what it's going to take, everybody. That's what's going to take is, you know, who's going to have the Barry Goldwater moment that goes into Donald Trump's office and says, you got to stop now. What's it going to take? And is it possible? Yeah. And the thing is, I don't think you can go into to to. Um Trump's office and do this. I, I think Trump is far beyond where Nixon ever was, as delusional as Nixon was. Uh, Trump is beyond that. What you need to do is get a critical mass. Two is not enough. You need no. to get a critical mass to say, oh, geez, you know, look at what, what, what we've done. 
Um, it's kind of uh, you know, kind of the Oedipus story. Is like, look, look at the havoc that we've we've wreaked here. Uh, we've got to put a stop to this now. Um, this is this has finally gone too far. I mean, it's, it went too far a long time ago. And of course, Romney has already voted for impeaching Donald Trump. So I mean, he's already been there. Um, so this is not something that he's taking a new stand on. That's say, saying that Donald Trump um, as president is unacceptable. His behavior. Uh, you know, but hopefully, um, you know, more of them follow that lead. And, and, and again, it gets to the point of understanding. You know, I, I was talking about how these voters, uh, these Vietnamese immigrants, or these folks in in the Midwest, don't understand the importance of uh, of our constitution. But obviously, uh, neither do uh, many of our senators and and uh, members of the House of Representatives understand it either. I think they understand it. I think that they just, the political expediency of, and the fear of stepping out, of being Jeff Flake or Bob Corker, is what keeps them. Because Trump, look at what he did with Mike DeWine this week. He came out and he said, who's going to be running for Republican governor in Ohio against Mike DeWine? That's that's why. And and like a mob boss, you, you sort of, you make your point with your power, and then you let that point scare everybody else. So let me just ask you, where do you think the patient is this week? Um, you know, obviously still in the ICU. Um, well, we got him out of the, we got the Republic out of the ICU last week. You had him out of the ICU last week. Nope. You had him out. I had him still in the ICU, but in good shape. You had him. We had both had the, the Republic off the ventilator. If you're new to our show, yeah. we, we should probably explain. We discussed the Republic kind of like a patient in the hospital. And this was long before COVID. But so last week we had, I had the patient still in the ICU. You had him just out of the ICU, but still in danger. Where is it now? Yeah, I, I think we've we've just gone back into the ICU for observation, <laughs> just because we're a little worried. <laughs> the te- the fever went up a little bit, and so yeah. you know we we want to make sure. I mean, uh, and, and certainly um, uh, you know uh, that press conference with the uh, Giuliani and Sidney Powell and Ellis, this crack legal team that they have. Crack. Um, oh yeah, cracked. I should have said you right. Uh, uh, and you know you listen to their charges, and you say, "Oh, this is a, a huge litany of um, potential fraud." Yeah. And then you know that much of that, in fact, the one affidavit that Giuliani kept referring to about somebody who signed the affidavit and was known. The reason why this person is known is because the affidavit has already been thrown out of court. Yeah. For lacking specific allegations, it, it's just like some general. Hey, I, I saw a lot of people do bad things. Well, you need to have specific things that you saw people do. And this person didn't say any of that. Neil, Cotiel, that is, Neil Cotiel is still saying that there's no problem. It's not an issue. He's going to go, right? I would argue that he's still in the ICU because I didn't leave the ICU last week. But I'm going to say this. We're not on a ventilator, but we're on oxygen. We need some oxygen right now. And we need people to step up. And we need our government leaders to step up. So let's move on now to our hot take segment where we're going to take 90 seconds to discuss some of the other topics in the news when you hear this sound. Yep, it's time to move on to the next one. So, Patrick, you're first up to me. Yes. So what did you think of uh, this moment in the uh, well of the uh, Senate with uh, Lindsey Graham and Kamala Harris uh, greeting each other with a fist bump? I was troubled by that, I have to say. And this is very subtle stuff, but Harris is hand was out to Graham and it looked like Harris was trying. This is when Harris had to go back to vote on the federal reserve member and her hand was out. And then Graham comes in and sort of subtly 
bumps it and then r- gives her back a little rub and tap on the back and kept moving on. You know, is this the collegiality of the Senate at play? Is that what we're seeing here? But I will say it, that the, the idea that Lindsey Graham can have anyone deal with him in any way other than as a criminal at this point for me is problematic, actually. Quite quite a bit problematic. What did you think? When you saw it, you watched it, you saw it? Yeah, I feel that way too. Um, and I understand that that's, that's the norm of behavior because, you know, go past the before the current environment. Um, you know, people would have hard, hard fought campaigns and they would say nasty things sure. about their opponent. And then at the end of the day, they'd say, well, that was just the campaign. That's what we want. Move on. But this, what Graham is doing is well beyond just saying nasty things about an opponent. Graham is trying to undermine the foundation of our democracy. Yes. And that's not acceptable. And there's no, there's no way that you can overlook that at Thanksgiving dinner when that person comes to your table. That's right. That's if somebody, if somebody is trying to destroy your family, you don't. You don't, you don't invite them to the table. You don't invite and you don't put your fist out for a bump. All right, let's move on now to Geraldo Rivera, who just yesterday um, came out. Geraldo freaking Rivera, come on, man. And basically said that what we should do with the president is uh, give him some love. Why don't we name the vaccine after him so everyone can get trumped? What do you think of that? Why don't we just name the disease after him? We'll change it from COVID Whoa. to Trumpid. <laughs> I think that would be a little bit more appropriate, don't that you? That would be far more. But damn, that's good. That Patrick, we've been doing this show for a while. That might be my favorite moment of yours in the entire show. Uh, yes. Why don't we do that if we're being more appropriate? But the idea of I have two children. I have an 11 year old and I have a seven year old. And my seven year old can occasionally brat up a little bit. And when he does, what I don't do is give him what he wants. I say, all right, well, I'm not going to let you play Minecraft, but here, let's go downstairs and have some Reese's peanut butter cups. No, no, you don't get that. That's not that's not the the power construct. Going back to Ed Norton, call his bluff, call his bluff. You get nothing. You get nothing. And based on what you've given to us with this disease, we're going to, you know, and someone said this last night. I don't remember who it was, but like if President Trump had any wisdom to him, any any long range feelings or thoughts, he would see that there are certain things that he could point to during his administration. All of those go to nothing based on how he's handling this transition. It goes to nothing. So you get nothing. It's like Willy Wonka. You touch the fizzy lifting drinks. You get nothing. <laughs> yeah. That's how I feel about the president. And Geraldo Rivera is not to be taken seriously. Please get off my TV. Yeah, I, this, uh, I mean, this is just a, a real clown show uh, here with what they're trying to do uh, in elevating uh, Donald Trump above being a president. OK, let's move on to the next one, which is, uh, hey, it's we're recording this on Friday, November 20th. It's Joe Biden's 78th birthday. Happy birthday, Mr. President-elect. You want to add to that? I really do. I I said this last week on the show that that I was a huge Barack Obama fan. I didn't love Bill Clinton. I didn't even like Bill Clinton in 1982 when he was running. I I, I was all in for someone else. I, I I didn't I didn't I wasn't a big Clinton fan. I thought he did a fine job. Obviously lost with his character and has ended his career sadly because. But but Bill Clinton said something this week that I saw in an interview where he said that there's greatness. He said it was really heartbreaking. He said, you know, when you're in office, it goes by so fast and you don't really realize what you have until it's gone. And he said, so there's something great about Joe 
being the president at this age because he can take all of the wisdom that he had. He said, I'm, he's 30 years older than I was when I took office, but that's going to serve him so very well. On this day for our president-elect Joe Biden, who I have so much respect for, Mark Halperin, I watched a video that he posted on Twitter, which was an interview from 2016 where he asked him, why didn't you run? And, and the heartbreak in his eyes, he just said, I just couldn't, you know, with my son Bo passing the way that he did. You know, your whole family has to be behind it and we just weren't strong enough. And this was in 2016. And just the pain in his eyes talking about his child. And he says, I do believe that I'm the right person for the job, but I just didn't have it in me to go through the campaign. And now you see him in 2020, four years older, four years wiser, ready to step forward and serve for as long as he possibly can. I I, I love him. I really do. And I, I wish him the happiest of births. All right. I'll, I'll, I won't add anything else to that. All right. Well, here it comes now. We're come to the point of the show, which has become one of my favorite points of any show, which is now we're going to bring our producer, Justin, in for a quick thought about where he sees things this week. So, Justin, welcome aboard. Do you have any thoughts that you want to share with us today? I think I have to start with Patrick's uh, wanting to rename Trump the disease, because that may be the line of the entire podcast and line of the entire year. Uh, yeah. <laughs> just, I mean, really funny, right? <laughs> I was laughing so hard that my office actually shook, um, and I had to get, contain myself so I could produce the podcast properly. Uh, so just kudos for that one. Uh, I want to kind of piggyback on, you know, I, I did, I didn't think it was that funny. Um, <laughs> I gotta, maybe I have a new career ahead of me. It was directly clever and it, it is a, a perfect response to Geraldo. But go ahead, Pat, uh, Justin, continue. Yes. <laughs> uh, I just want to piggyback real quick on uh, the the child uh, comment uh, that Ian made, uh, because Trump is acting like a toddler right now. And I think it is time for the parents in the room and the parents being the Republican Party, because until... January 20th, they are the party in charge. Someone's got to stand up and put the child on timeout. It can't be the step-parent. It can't be the Democratic Party right now. And people outside of Ben Sass and Mitt Romney need to step up in the Republican Party and put this child on timeout. Okay, well, I, I that sounds great. And uh, thank you. Thank you, Justin. I I obviously agree with you on that. Um, now we're going to move on to our guardian of the week. This is where we pick somebody who is uh, doing something for the nation outside of their political future. But but this is a, a sort of different one, a different kind of one. And Patrick, you came up with it this week. Why don't you tell us who you picked? Well, uh, it looks like by the end of the year, we're going to have uh, at least two vaccines uh, that yeah. will be ready to start uh, distributing. Uh, an amazing feat uh, in uh, pharmaceutical development. But we would only have those vaccines available um, because of the thousands of volunteers who decided to participate in these vaccine trials without knowing if they would actually get a vaccine, a placebo, or even what the side effects would be uh, for them. And they put themselves out there uh, and were willing um, to take this incredibly accelerated uh, test um, put their own health on the line yeah. for the rest of us. Um, and I think that's just an amazing feat. And, uh, you know, we need to give them all the props that we can. And, you know, one of the things that I noticed was there were people over the age of 65 who took part in this test as well. 
that's something, you know, because if, if let's say you're 32 years old, you're going to get paid a good bit of money. You're going to do your part for everybody, blah, blah, blah. That's one thing you get. You get it. Maybe you'll go through a little something, but you'll be OK. These are people who could have died from this. Um, and uh, it's definitely worthy of a tip of the cap. So well, well done. I, I, I absolutely concur. OK, well. That is it then for this week's edition of uh, Guardians of the Republic. Uh, we'll be back sometime after the Thanksgiving holiday, not Friday mm-hmm. after Thanksgiving. We're going to take the week off. Um, I don't think any of us will invite anybody to the table who's no. out to destroy our families. Uh, so we wish all of you a very safe and healthy uh, Thanksgiving. And if you want to follow us or you have any comments for the show, please reach out to us on Twitter at Guardians OTR. And please remember to subscribe to get the latest episodes of your favorite podcast app. And please give us a rating and tell your friends and family so others can find us. Uh, also, quick little thing. I want to thank Victoria, who sent me that quote at the top of the show, which I believe I did use earlier in the season, um, in I think in, in March of last year, of this past year. But thank you. So if you have a George Washington quote that you want to share with us, please do so through Twitter. Very likely you're going to hear it on the show. So thank you, Victoria. And if you want to catch up on some of our past episodes, check out our website at guardians-republic.com uh thanks for joining us and we'll be back with a new episode soon see ya justin thank you